Hi, I'm Lisa Gale, and you're listening to the podcast for Texas Holistic Educators. So many parents and teachers these days have big concerns about the current state of modern education and are seeking a healthier way, one that addresses kids' whole brain needs as well as their emotional, physical, and spiritual needs. Texas Holistic Educators connect parents and teachers across the state who are cultivating healthy practices in their schools and homes with the intention of empowering others to do the same. So my guest today is Aaron Harding. Welcome, Aaron. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks for having me on. Good morning. So Aaron is the founder and president of CSW Associates, an educational consulting firm based in Houston, Texas. He also works as the head of curriculum and development for Kensho Classroom, a mindfulness and movement-based resource for parents and educators. Aaron applies the curriculum he's developing at Oak Forest Elementary School, where he also teaches full-time. He's been teaching yoga and mindfulness for 13 years and five years in the public school system. So Aaron, you're obviously passionate about mindfulness education for kids, so I'm curious what your story is. How did you come to be a student of mindfulness and of yoga? My first introduction to mindfulness was through my mother, who's been practicing for probably, oh, 25 or 30 years maybe. Um, when I was in high school, she would invite me to practice yoga with her. Um, so she was, I think, my first um, introduction to, to yoga and meditation. Um, and I've been practicing, and I, I've been practicing meditation for, for a very long time, like uh, since, since I was a kid. Um, but I really got into yoga um, during my... Uh, last few years of college, uh, I had been le- leading kind of an unhealthy lifestyle. Uh, I had just gotten back. Uh, I, was, I was attending the University of Oklahoma at the time, and I had just returned from studying abroad uh, in St. Petersburg, Russia, and I, just, I had formed a bunch of unhealthy habits of, of just like physically and mentally, and I felt like I was sort of... Uh, stagnating in my growth um and so i found the only yoga studio that i knew about in norman oklahoma and i showed up and i started taking classes and the way that it directed my focus and kind of made my body feel it was i was hooked from that point on and it's like i mean i I, you know to sort of be corny the rest is history like I fell in love with the practice and I sort of I I went a little bit nutty at first I started practicing probably at least three hours a day but as many as maybe six so I would practice in two two or three hour chunks every day Um, and at that time I also began working in an outpatient um, psychiatric, faci- sorry, an inpatient psychiatric facility for uh, um, children and adolescents. And so I was kind of in this space of like um, 
developing myself, but then also having this kind of like being able to share that or like share what I was learning with uh, kids that had, you know, gone through a really difficult time. Um, so it's sort of, uh, I guess it was serendipitous that these two things occurred so, so somewhat simultaneously in my life. But at, when I was able to share it in that sort of environment, when I was able to share yoga and mindfulness or, and meditation in an environment with kids that were, um, you know, having really um, difficult, just having a difficult time in their lives, like it uh, really, I think, stuck with me that that's something that I really wanted to do more of and have a larger impact. I really saw my my ability to give beyond myself. Uh, I, I saw that as like probably like my my number one opportunity. So I I just I I, I ran with it. Wow, um, that that's a inspiring story. Actually, I'm curious. Um, what about you said you first got introduced to yoga by your mom and mm-hmm. i'm guessing she she as you said she was practicing how did you start practicing with her or what about what about her experience from your perspective inspired you to want to give it a try when you were a teenager um i my I, I viewed my mom. I've always viewed my mom as a as a very like mentally tough person. Um, she, when I was very small, when I was very young, um, she was a professional dancer and choreographer. So she was uh, she was an artist when I was a child. Um, when I was a teenager, she started working as a social worker, and so the the I know the things. Uh, that she was dealing with on a day-to-day basis. She was working with Child Protective Services, actually. So the, the, the types of things she was encountering, I think, in her, in her work were just very, very difficult. And at, at times, I think for most people, we'd call it traumatic. But, she, I mean, she was able to, you know, maintain a, you know, a healthy attitude and a positive state of mind in, in what she was doing. And I think I really admired that about her. Um, and I was, a, I was an athlete in high school. I, I, I was a wrestler. Um, and just having that sort of connection to my body, uh, it, it felt really good to me then. Um, wrestlers, I think, are sort of notorious for um, – doing a lot of damage to their bodies um, and it's a it's a quite an, an intense um, activity to pursue uh, and so I feel like the when she introduced me to yoga it was sort of a uh, a good complement to that like a, a good way to balance what I what I was doing to my body when I was uh, wrestling Wow well you obviously had some some kind of body intelligence operating at that time to know that you needed some kind of balance to the wrestling. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So, um, gosh, well, thanks for sharing all of that. That, um, 
That makes a lot of sense. It sounds like you found something that really worked for you and you got passionate about it and you wanted to share it with others and that's what you're still doing. And yes. you're, you're doing quite a bit of it. When I look at all of the work that you're doing in the world and I know that you're a dad with yes. two young boys and a husband and um, so you're, you're making time to do what what you're passionate about as well as be a family guy. So, wow. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I, if, if I, 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 I try and practice what I preach as much as possible because I don't, and, and, I, and I know it sounds kind of crazy, like, uh, I, you know, I already said a mouthful, but, like, uh, there's, there's more I want to do and there's more, like, I want to get it out there to as many people um, as possible to, you know, so that they can hopefully find the same benefit or, like, connect to themselves as I connected to myself in a way that, like, you know, made me feel uh, as my best self. And so anybody, when everyone's feeling, their, feeling themselves, uh, like, the, the best part of themselves are coming forward, then, you know, that's the kind of world I want to live in. Yeah, uh, me too. <laughs> So can we talk about that, the work that yeah, you are doing, the, um, the other ideas that you have that you're moving into? I know you've founded your own company called CSW, and when I first saw those letters, I wondered, what does that mean? What does that stand for? <laughs> so I have to know. <laughs> okay, so... I, I started my company because I'm 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 sort of in a bit of a transition. Like uh, I'm I'm starting to work with curriculum development um, to share uh, with like parents and and teachers. Um, I'm also starting to develop some after school resources. So it's sort of like it was a general company to maybe work as a base from um, for all of these various undertakings, um, but. It's a very important name to me, and it, it's, to me, it's sort of like, if I think about it, it's just a reminder of everything that means to me. So I've been studying Hinduism, Buddhism, and uh, Taoism for the last 13 years or more, and I studied for... How long has it been now? Um, a Taoist master um, who I met old, seven years ago, or around seven years ago, um, and just the experiences and the perspective on life that I gained through this teacher's guidance. Um, have really profoundly impacted my life for the better. And um, he gave me this name, and uh, the, the full name, which I'll share with you now, uh, it's very mm -hmm. special to me. And in Taoism, they give names to, uh, like, priests, typically. They don't have a name that you sort of um, start, start attaching your personality to, they have a name that's more like a concept. 
And this concept is sort of reminds you of your true nature. So that's a little bit of a background behind uh, what this name is about. So the, the name that my Taoist master gave me was Cold Still Water Reflecting Heaven. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's sort of like uh, evocative of a, of a natural occurrence, right? So like when you see cold still water and uh, the sky reflected in the water. Um, so the first, the CSW is cold still water. And uh, every time, basically, even when I say it to you now, just basically when I see that, it brings me almost to like a time and place or that concept in my mind and it sort of just gets me still, gets me centered um, and kind of reminds me, brings me right to that best version of myself where I know that I can love and serve my world to the best of my ability. Wow. What a gift. I feel that. I can feel that in my body too, the shift when you say it. Um, that's really beautiful. So, um, reflecting heaven, that, that brings me to, you know, um, really a little bit more of the essence of what we're talking about today, and that's the concept of holistic education. You know, um, holistic education, I'm curious, what does that mean to you personally, and then how does it inform the work that you're doing with children and with families? I mean, holistic to me really means um, it's really addressing each learner. I mean, holistic, it's just, uh, to me, to, to, to say it very, uh, I guess, succinctly, which I'm not known to do very often, is um, it's like a mind-body-spirit connection um, and addressing all the aspects and needs of each learner or student or person, however you want to describe that, um, and seeing each individual where they're at and, and to try and be as present and, and um, engaged and as mindful as possible um, to see what that is for each person. Um, and when, and I know it's a, it's a very, maybe it, it could come across as being vague, but it's like if you, if you see someone where they're at, you're more likely to be able to see them for who they are and what, it, what they might need in that particular moment. Um, and it's not, oh, hey, here you're not working correctly, here's this thing that I think you should have. It's really genuinely sort of mm, sort of it's it's almost like oh, it's so hard to put into words. Um, you mean I think that's really? the closest I can get. I, I, that's like the closest I can I feel like I can get to it. It's a, 
you're not trying to control what's going on with that person and say, oh, here, you need this, this, and this. It's seeing that person for who they are and what's important to them. So like Owen, my son, goes to Beehive. And what is really important to Owen is, is being a builder. And Owen loves to build. And you could give him all of the art, all of the art activities which he would, you know, he will get something out of. But if you give him blocks or something to build with, he's totally on his own engaged in that activity. He engages himself. He 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 loses himself in that activity, or he he becomes fully engaged in it. It's like he becomes that activity when he's doing it, um, and it's. To me, that's like the coolest thing to see is um, a student, a learner, a person becoming so engaged in what they're doing in play, in work. I mean, if – and I, I don't know. With the right perspective to me or with a particular perspective, work and play, you might be able to take away the difference between the two. So sometimes – uh, if, Owen's, if Owen's building at home, I'm saying he's working really hard. But he doesn't think of it in that sort of way that we as boring adults sometimes think of work. It's like, oh, it's drudgery. But he's just fully, he's just fully engaged, like 100% in what he's doing. Um, and I, I, like to, I, I think I would like to use that as like an analogy for like what is holistic education it would be like finding that, finding that for each person. Like what is going to make them passionate um, from the inside out? Or what, you know, giving them the tools and resources to find those things for themselves that will fully engage them in the, like, the learning process. Um, and, I mean, to me, I think that's, you know, in, in Taoism, they say there's like the finger pointing at the moon and sometimes don't look at the finger or you'll miss all of the heavenly glory. There's a famous scene in the Bruce Lee movie where he is with a student and saying that. And I feel like ho holistic education is, you know, it's the moon. But don't, don't, don't look at the finger. <laughs> but I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm telling you to look at the finger, but <laughs> look, look, look at the moon. That's, that's what, like, I mean, and, and that maybe that's a little flowery for some people, but um, to me, I think that, that if we can all find that part of ourselves to become fully engaged with uh, what we're doing, I mean, that to me is, like, the ultimate aim of holistic education, and it sees people, their physical, mental spiritual and emotional needs and um, can hopefully get us to that place where we're all that, that engaged, like best version of ourselves, um, passionate learners. Yeah. I hope that, that answers was, the question. That was um, <laughs> very well said. I, I, you painted a great picture and I'm sort of swept up in it and I'm, I'm, I'm I heard key words like, engaged the the learner is engaged 
they're passionate about what they're doing, they've almost become one with what they're doing. The line between work and play is blurred. And so I'm thinking about the cognitive development that's happening for a child or an adult in that scenario that you just described, whether it's blocks or anything else um, that they're doing. I'm thinking about all the cognitive development that can occur. The executive functioning skills, the curiosity, the, uh, the critical thinking, the creativity, you know, the problem solving, and the passion and interest and engagement to solve the problems. So, um, and it's wonderful that kids like Owen have an environment where they can do that, where they can learn that way. And I think about, you know, maybe the contrast of current typical education, mainstream education. And how would you see, what is the difference that you see as a dad and also as an educator that's in the public school system? What's the difference that you see there? And then what might classroom teachers do to begin to bridge that knowing everything that we know about how busy their day is and how much pressure they have to perform and to create students who are performing to certain state set standards. What are some maybe some simple things, if there is such a thing, that those teachers could begin to do just in a few minutes a day or maybe with an a slight mindset shift to help bridge that um, if there is a gap between what's currently happening and that scenario of holistic education that you described. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that just shot into my head when um, you were um, asking that is, um, I mean, just number one, like, Take care of yourself. Um, make sure you're drinking enough water, you're eating the right foods, like really basic stuff. Um, teachers are definitely givers, um, and they can tend to put everyone else ahead of themselves. And I think it's really important to, for them to find, for each individual, um, teacher, um, instructor, to be engaging with them, those things themselves, and to find something that they are passionate or engaged with learning, to find that connection to themselves of like, uh, like one of the teachers at my school is super into mountain biking. Um, another one really likes hunting. But that's, like, that's where he's the most engaged and, like, probably feels the best version of himself. Um, to me, and, and to me, if, like, I, it almost sounds, like, lofty, but you have to be really paying attention to what's going on with you. And to me, that's where, like, mindful, like a mindfulness practice comes in. So even just, like, a couple minutes a day, sitting and doing nothing or sitting and bringing your attention back to your breathing. So really simple but practice, but it's not easy, is what I like to tell my, both my 
uh, my child and adult students. Like it's a simple practice to sit and observe your breathing, but it's not easy sometimes. We feel this constant need to control, and I should be controlling my mind, and I should be my I should be this, and I should be that. And um, to quote my Taoist master, you shouldn't don't should all over yourself. And that's a little vulgar, but you don't, it's just a practice of, of being present, noticing the thoughts, noticing the breathing and really stepping into the present moment and, and then getting super curious about like, what is it that I, 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 what is it that really I love to do? What is it that really engages me? If I could do anything today, what what would it be? Or if I could do, um, for an adult, it might be like, if money was no object, what would I be doing? Um, and to discover that for themselves. And at, personally, for me, that's kind of what I have found engages me the most is um, if it's, for me, it might, for, for me, I really enjoy outdoor education. I really enjoy, um, I took a, a survival course <laughs> last year that was like um, really got me super um, connected with myself and um, kind of I felt like um, gave me this deep connection between myself and the natural world that I had been searching for since I was a child or like that I had that I hadn't connected with since I was very young. Um, so to me, it, it's all about, it's about all about self-knowledge. It's all about self-awareness um, and mindfulness practice to me is the ground floor of that. Mm. So you're saying <laughs> I love how when I asked what's one thing that they could do, you brought the focus right back on the teacher. And and I'm guessing that applies to parents too, to take just take better care of themselves. Yeah, I think and as a parent as a parent and an educator, we make we get good at making excuses. And we say, oh, well, I can't do this because I shouldn't spend that money on myself or I shouldn't, I shouldn't take time away from my kids or I shouldn't, I shouldn't ask that of my spouse. Um, when really if, if what you're spending money on or taking time away for is going to make you a more present um, kind, loving, compassionate person, um, you're, it's, it's, not a, it's, it's not a good excuse not to take the time. So whether it's five minutes or if it's 30 minutes in the morning to do what makes you feel your best, there should, we, should, we, shouldn't, we should stop making excuses for not doing the things that um, make us passionate, curious, learners. And that's something that may come through in our conversation is that's like, for me, that's something that's super important personally, 
is I always want to be I always want to be looking at the the, the latest um, information coming from sports medicine, for example, to like inform my physical body practice, my fitness practice, or what is the what is the latest research coming from mindfulness practices and education. How can I give my students a, an experience of mindfulness and a practice that they can take with them throughout their lives? So, or how can I plant the seeds that even if it doesn't connect for them right now, maybe down the road they'll find it to be uh, an enriching practice to engage in. So, I mean, I think curiosity and presence go a really long way in to, to uh, shifting the paradigm. And we're, we're not islands unto ourselves. So to me, when an individual changes or makes some kind of a shift, everyone in their immediate orbit is going to feel a, a change. And, uh, you know, teachers have a lot of demands on their time. Um, a lot. It's being an ancillary teacher, witnessing um, the, the um, witnessing the other, like, sort of departmentalized teachers, what they're teaching, math, or reading, writing, um, I'm really amazed by these people and how, and their levels of organization and patience and creativity. Um, I mean, I feel like teachers are some of the, are, are probably the most special people in the world because, because they have a desire to do that. I think they have a desire to see people where they're at and not only see people where they're at, but Hey, this is where you are in your reading. Um, let me meet you where you're at and then give you a little challenge to, to help uh, to keep it interesting for you. Um, so, I mean, I really feel strongly that each individual teacher should take the best possible care of themselves with no excuses. And so, I mean that's that's the that's where we start. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I agree with that. And so throw away the excuses. Take two minutes, sometime in your 24 hours when you're not sleeping, <laughs> um, to sit and be present, and just focus on the breath. And then, as you said, get curious. Beyond yes, that, super curious. begin to get curious. Yeah. And then I heard you say you mentioned the, the orbit of the teacher, meaning the classroom of students around them, not to mention their families and in their personal lives. But the one, one simple but not easy perhaps change of habit <laughs> um, and how that can affect everyone around them. And when one teacher is lit up about something in their life, whether it's 
directly related to their teaching or not, how does that shift that person's maybe physiology and, and then how does that affect the people around them? Oh, it's like, um, oh, I love the way you worded that question. Um, it's <laughs> that change in physiology. I mean, it's like, it's immediate. It's like posture. And there's like this, when you're passionate and excited, it comes through, you might be able to tell it, be able to tell in the way that I'm speaking to you. Like it's sort of like there's a, a bubbliness, like a buzzing in the energy that um, that excitement and that curiosity brings to your interactions with other people. Um, I think uh, it was y years ago somebody told me about like a, a practice where you could have sort of ask yourself this question, like you're about to put something in your mouth. It's like higher self. Higher self, what do you want to eat right now? And your higher self already knows, like, okay, I should, I, should have, I should eat a little lighter right now. Or I should drink, you know what, I'm going to drink a little more water instead of filling up on food or bread or whatever, whatever it is. Um, wow, that, that change in physiology is so, so huge. Um, and it directly comes from that, that curiosity and passion from your own learning, your own experience. Um, and and, and phys physiology is like the biggest thing. Um, I like to talk a lot about language, physiology, and focus as like a, like a triad or like a triangle of things. That's how you can shift, I feel like, anything you really want in your life, whether it's uh, your health, or a relationship, or your teaching methodology. And it's, if you, if your physiology, think about the physiology, what does the physiology of um, boredom look like? You know, you can sort of already, like immediately in your head, picture a person who looks bored. And, you know, their eyes are half open and their posture is, you know, kind of slouching. There's just not a whole lot of excitement and energy. Their breathing is probably shallow if they even notice what that's like. Uh, their movements might be sluggish and kind of slow. But any shift in physiology, sort of any bit of explosiveness, uh, and I sort of think like dancing. Like dancing is a great example of like uh, – like just passion for life, I feel like. Most cultures probably, when, when there's like a lot of like passion or joie de vivre, like it's like there's dancing going on. There's music, there's dancing. And this is something that I love about working with kids. It doesn't matter who they are or where they're from. When you put on some music, the kids are going to get moving. And I think adults could seriously have a better sense of humor with themselves and get right in there with them. I mean, moving your body in a way that you're unaccustomed to will shake things up. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> so um, now I'd, I'd love to hear you talk about 
the work that you're doing because you you got lit up when you started describing movement and physiology. So how does that segue into the work that you're currently doing? And then also if you could talk about um, CSW and what you're developing and who who can benefit from the tools and the resources. Oh, okay. So, yes. Um, this last summer of 2018, uh, a former student of mine uh, who uh, came to yoga with like her own unique uh, story of of difficulty and struggle, um, and got a lot out of the kind of somatic processing, somatic benefit of yoga, sort of like working stress out of your tissues. Um, she's a community leader in Wharton, Texas, and she called me, I guess it was in the spring last year, and said, hey, uh, I want to put together a yoga program. Do you know anybody that could do it? And I was like, I'll do it. <laughs> let's, let's do this. And so basically what we did is we went to Wharton. Um, I developed a curriculum very similar to the one that I developed for my elementary school here in Houston. And we taught this program. I sort of trained teachers on the job to teach this curriculum that is sort of a, I mean, I guess the exact proper name would, uh, from, of it would be like post-disaster, uh, like post-traumatic stress mm -hmm. <laughs> recovery yoga. Uh, and we taught second grade kids, so kids seven or eight to like, uh, I think our oldest student was probably 80 years old or so. So we, we took young kids to um, senior citizens, and we implemented this yoga program. They got to come to yoga uh, once a week for, I think it was eight or ten weeks. And we implemented this program, and kids who had never done yoga before never been exposed to mindfulness, but had this, um, I mean, ha had, had basically in the previous, I want to say it was three years, they, there was some flooding in Wharton um, the year before Hurricane Harvey, and then I think there was even a flood the year before that. So these families and these kids had basically experienced being having their home, their physical residence um, either destroyed or unlivable almost every year for three years. So the, the city and the community was facing some serious social challenges. Lots of PTSD type symptoms, suicide, substance abuse, um, a lot of pretty difficult problems to address. And this program that we created is like a health and wellness or mindfulness-based health and wellness program was to help kind of address 
some of those issues and give people some strategies that they could use in class and outside of class to like manage some of the way that they're feeling. And so right now, they're still teaching uh, community classes down in, in Wharton that are available to the public free of charge um, for them to continue to like learn and develop these skills. Um, so my, what my company did is we trained the teachers, gave them the curriculum to use, uh, gave them, created some uh, visuals and like other classroom materials for them for, to aid them in their teaching. And we're sort of providing ongoing consulting work and um, additional training for these teachers um, in supporting them for the work they're doing in their community. And I'm pretty wow. excited about it. Okay, so, so these are people in the community that live in the community. So for instance, these are people that live in Wharton, and yes. you've trained them to continue the program in your physical absence. Now, did they have to go through some 200-hour yoga teacher training program? Did they talk about the kind of training that, um, that you've been so, able to equip them with? Yeah, so I was able to um, train my, uh, my student who came up with the idea for the program as a lead teacher. So she has a lot. She's already been certified as a yoga instructor, and she's already um, hi, like very highly experienced. She's been teaching yoga for um, a number of years. Um, she was able to assist me in getting these other trainees up to that 200-hour teacher training. So we were able to provide them with a 200-hour teacher training and basically just ongoing continuing education uh, courses and classes to kind of just help them in their teaching, address any issues that may be specific to the demographic that they're working in that may come up. And it was uh, a couple members actually from her She's also, I, I, my student in Wharton is also a leader of the, um, like a youth group in the Methodist church there. And a, and a couple of the teachers are actually, one of them is a college student and one of them is actually a junior or senior in high school um, in that community that or have sort of um, already been in my student's sphere of influence for a while and seeing kind of like the benefits that yoga has to offer. And they felt compelled to like um, become leaders and teachers themselves and like and share it with their friends and neighbors down there. That's very cool. So where, do you know where is the class being taught? If people who live in that community want to try a class, where would they find that? Yes. Let me get you, I'm going to bring it up. Let's see. Okay. And we can post it too. Yeah. So, so the, um, let's see. the name where they're teaching it now is called Hesed House. And it is a, it's like a community health organization in Warden. Um, and people who live, it is at 413. 
West Colorado Street in Wharton, Texas, and the zip is 77488. And if you, if you want, you could check them out on their Facebook page. Uh, and it's Hesed Houses, H-E-S-E-D-H-O-U-S-E. And the first photo you'll see is my student Josh on that uh, page um, leading a class for uh, the youth that we did this summer. The program was called It Is Well, um, and it was supported by the United Methodist Church of Wharton. Okay, great. Wow. Um, I'm wondering if you have just one or two short stories of individual kids or adults um, and how it may be affected their lives going through this 8 to 10 week um, practice with you guys. Um, so one of the things that I like, I noticed about the children in particular, children and adolescents, is, I mean, based on some of the other things that were going on in the community, um, they seem to be on kind of high levels of alert at all times. They're sort of, uh, it take, they're living in a state of um, basically like fight or flight. Their nervous systems are kind of at that high level of um, arousal a lot of the time. And so what I really saw is these kids could come into this safe place. Um, they were able to move their bodies and express some nervous energy out. And a lot of what we saw was kids, when they were given permission to rest and relax, like at the end of the class, they, a lot of times they fell asleep. And so um, clearly they need, they just needed that rest and they needed the shutdown time. But there were, there were a couple kids um, in particular, we'll call one Lloyd. Um, and he, I believe he was in third grade, uh, never done yoga before never been exposed to it. Um, he um, was like a, a, a bigger kid, kind of quiet, kept to himself. But when he would come to class, he would do, he wouldn't skip a single position or a single breath. Um, and when it would come to the rest pose time, he would just, he would lay down, and usually he would fall asleep. But he, he came in and did this every week for that full eight or ten weeks. Every week he would come in, rest, relax. Um, another one, uh, Lloyd was like in third grade. There was another kid, let's call him Deshaun. And he, um, he came in and he was joking and laughing and trying to like – laugh off like he was he wasn't sure what yoga was he wasn't sure he really wanted to do it um he wanted to kind of be the center of attention and, and kind of entertain the other kids in the class um but when he was able to just kind of take his attention inside practice some yoga challenge his body and then rest and relax at the end it was a 100% turnaround. So he was sort of deflecting with, with humor at the beginning, 
But at the end, he walked out and he was calm, clear, focused, and centered and just like said, said that he felt great. And that was like his first class. So some of these kids who maybe otherwise wouldn't have had the opportunity to do this are having these really pop, like, I would I would call them really positive first-time experiences with yoga and mindfulness that even if they're, like I said, even if it doesn't serve them right now, even though they have the opportunity, in the future they'll realize that they can engage in a practice that connects them to themselves, gives them that peace and focus and centered feeling that maybe they'll come back to it later on. Um, and that's, I, I really see myself as just sort of sprinkling the seeds of uh, the benefits of yoga and meditation and mindfulness everywhere. Um, I wouldn't necessarily consider myself an expert, but really a passionate dilettante maybe. Hmm. So, so this is happening at Wharton. You sprinkled those seeds, and also there are people now in the community who are trained to continue the program so that it can sustain itself. And that was the most this, important thing for me when they approached me was like, "Can you come lead this program?" And I'm like, "Well, why, why, why just come lead it when I can train your community members? That's the only way to make it sustainable." And to me, it's like. I don't, I don't want people to be dependent on me. Like I really want everyone to become what <laughs> mindfully self-sufficient or self-sufficient in mindfulness and, and really in all other ways because then, um, as my teacher likes to say, a rising tide raises all boats. Um, so if people are take it and own it, then they will share it and it'll just kind of one 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 flame will light a bunch of candles. For sure. So going forward, what are the kinds of communities that might benefit from this type of program that is happening in Wharton? What are those kinds of communities or those groups of people? And then how can they get in touch with you? Um, so everybody in Wharton, because the whole, like everybody in the whole city was affected by the flood. Um, and I feel like it can be a benef beneficial practice for everyone, regardless of your walk of life. So whether you weren't affected by the flood or, or you were, like you, you know somebody that was, and being in a climate of so much stress has an effect on all of us. So... Let me actually, I'll give you the exact dates and times of the classes that they're having in Wharton. I'm just going to check my notes here. They're teaching so, yoga. On, um, so the, the Hesed House, I gave you the, uh, um, the address earlier. They have a Facebook page. They're located at Dinosaur Park in Wharton. Um, they're teaching Mondays at 8 a.m. Uh, excuse me, Mondays at 9 a.m. The second and fourth Tuesdays of the month at 4:30 and 6 p.m. Thursdays on the first and third Thursdays, they're teaching at 5:30 p.m. 
And the Thursday night class is a more gentle, slower class, which may be better for like uh, people with injuries or um, health conditions that might need a little bit of extra um, coaching. That's great. Lots of opportunities, actually. Okay, so so perhaps other communities um, that m- maybe have had some type of significant trauma or stress. Uh, what about just um, you know this community over here, you know South Houston, let's say for instance. Um, Everyday stresses, but not an yeah. acute, immediate trauma. Yeah. Is, no. is that a, how can they benefit? Um, I mean, it's kind of I, I kind of go back to what I was saying about just uh, self awareness, and um, I think everybody can benefit from that practice. Slowing down, um, you know, I would welcome people who feel <laughs> resistant to the idea of practicing yoga to give it a shot, to like go and stretch your comfort zone and, and give it a try and, and see, see how that, see how it works for you. Um, everyone to me has the opportunity to benefit from it. Um, there's, there's any number of, like in this day and age, there's no reason not to give it a try. There's such a low cost of initial investment. You can go on YouTube. You can follow along with the class on YouTube. There are apps for your cell phone. Um, and and uh, I'm, I, this is just, these are just things I'm aware of. I don't receive any. Uh, I'm not selling this. So uh, Headspace is an app um, that you can get um, that will take you through guide, different guided meditations. There's mindfulness-based stress relief which is uh, John Kabat-Zinn's program on mindfulness uh, that has probably some of the most compelling research behind it. He's shown like in his research that um, when uh, mindfulness is coupled with uh, a treatment, uh, the one I'm thinking of is they treated people for psoriasis. The people who were meditating healed faster mm-hmm. than the control group um, just receiving the regular treatment. Um, so, I mean, there's just any number of ways and approaches that you could take. There's the Houston Zen Center. All of those people are more than qualified and very experienced in being able to take you through a mindfulness practice. We have any number of yoga studios. And I, I think my biggest advice would just be start now. It's It won't and don't try and control the process. If you sit for five minutes, it may not feel very good, but just breathe through it, stay with your breath, keep coming back to the present moment, and then the, the real, what I've noted is that the real benefit comes from just consistency. So if you do five minutes a day, in two weeks you're going to feel a lot different than on the first day or in the first week even, and, and you get really, really profound um, changes as, the, as you go out from the point that you started. So the longer and more consistent your practice, the more, I think, the more benefit you find. And then there's all sorts of uh, retreats, like mindfulness retreats of 
um, Vipassana centers. They leave um, 10 day retreats. It's like, that's like the first one. And if you're looking to just really like <laughs> really, really get into this in a big way, um, it's not something to be t- undertaken lightly, but I mean, it, uh, it, it's something that could really help transform your life as far as like with, with relation to mindfulness and present moment awareness. And that's a very, what I would call like a peak experience. And there's a high cost of entry as far as what your physical and mental state will be going through in something like that. But um, they can be really powerful. Um, there's a, a family that goes to Beehive, and uh, the dad is a psychiatrist who practices 30 minutes a day. And he and I spoke, and he was just talking about how out of this world and, and necessary it is and how much he uses it both in his, pra- his personal life and also sharing it with his patients as, like, it's sort of like a way that he feels like he can treat people the best. Is, is by is by having them practice mindfulness. Um, so there's so many opportunities out there. Um, if you're if you'd like to get in touch with me, my email is a b harting at gmail dot com. Um, you can also search my name on, on uh, Facebook. Uh, send me a, a message or a friend request. And you can uh, reach out to me that way. Those are probably the two best ways to get a hold of me. Um, and mostly now I'm teaching private sessions for individuals. Um, I'm also um, working on uh, partnering with some after-school programs to, cre- to create a uh, – to kind of share the curriculum across a, just a – I'm just looking to, uh, I guess – spread more seeds, as I mentioned before, like, sow more seeds out there um, so more people have the opportunity to experience this and the benefits that it offers. Mm, Thank you so much, Erin. You just shared a wealth of resources and inspiring stories. Thank you so much for talking with me today. I'm looking forward to sharing this with people. And thank you for being that cold, still water reflecting heaven in very practical, grounded ways. appreciate you. Thank you so much, Lisa, and thanks for having me on. Um, I really, really admire all the work that you're doing. Um, I mean, both Texas and sharing this, I feel like it's, it's really important for people to know, you know, there's options out there, there's resources out there um, to, you know, meet everyone's individual specific need. Um, and I just I hope people will stay curious and um, just you know for for the for the benefit of themselves and and their and their families and kids. So thank you for having me on. Absolutely, thank you. We're throwing away our excuses and we're making time for a couple minutes for ourselves to pay attention to breathing and what we're curious about. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks, Lisa. 